Jesus is the Son of God. We know this. He is the Savior of the world. He is the eternal God who has always existed. Psalm 90, verse 2, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He is the great I am. At a point in time in history, Jesus Christ left the glories of heaven to become a human being. Philippians chapter 2, that uh, he, became, he humbled himself to uh, become a human being and then humbled himself to, be, uh, to die on the cross. The word became flesh, John 1.14. Now here's the question. So this perfect, eternal Son of God, why in the world would God become a person? Well, we know this, that we're all sinners. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We need a Savior. Jesus Christ came to be our substitute. This is what we've been seeing, what we're talking about. He's a satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. That's what we see. So, here's what we see. He's our substitute. We see him, Hebrews 2.9 says, we see Jesus who's made for a little while, little while lower than the angels. In other words, he left the glories of heaven and became a human being. That put him lower than angels. The cause of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. So watch this. So that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Jesus Christ came and died for us and paid for our sins. So to be the substitute, now think about this. If he's going to be the substitute to pay for our sins, he's going to have to be without sin. Is that correct? The wages of sin is death. Jesus Christ dies for us. But if he was going to be able to die for us, he had to be without sin. So one of the things to show his sinlessness, to show that he is the sinless, perfect God-man, Jesus Christ was tempted. Notice in Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one, talking about Jesus, who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. If you remember, we talked about temptations to pull to do wrong. We raised the question, is temptation sin? No, because Jesus Christ was tempted in all points, yet without sin. We know that there's that pattern where you see it, you want it, then what happens? You take it and then you hide it. We know that if we can stop it at the wanting part, you know, seeing it, wanting it, and if we can just stop right there, and that's what Joseph did when we saw him. And so the bottom line is Jesus Christ is the one who came and died for us, paid for our sins, showing that he is the sinless, perfect son of God. And so it's great stuff. Now, what we saw last time was this. Matthew chapter 4, we saw the ways that Jesus Christ was tempted. This morning in Luke chapter 4, we're going to look at a little different place. We're going to see how Jesus dealt with the temptations. Now, we brought these two questions up last week. I just want to remind you. Two questions. Could Jesus Christ have sinned? And if he's God, how could he be tempted? Those are two big questions I understand that a lot of you, when you got the grow group, a lot of good discussion on those questions. Because the question comes up, Jesus Christ is the God-man. He's the perfect man. He's the perfect God. Some people say, well, Jesus Christ could have sinned. He was just, he, uh, he was able not to sin. In other words, sin, temptation came. Since he was a man, he could sin, but he didn't. The other view is that Jesus Christ is God, of course, the eternal God, and he cannot sin. And so throughout history, we've always said there's a thing called posse non capare and non kasipakari which means he's not able to sin or he's able not to sin. That's been a debate throughout history uh, that it did Jesus Christ, was he just not able to sin or was he able not to sin? You know, and I, I take it that Jesus Christ could not sin. And here's, here's a little illustration that might help you. If you think about his humanity as a metal bar, and somebody could say, well, you kick that bar and you could bend it, maybe that's sin. But think about that since he's God, he's, incre- you know, he's enclosed in this giant concrete, you know, something that can't move. And so in reality, even though he is a human being, perfect human being, he's also the perfect eternal God. I, I, I take the view that Jesus Christ could not sin. 
Some people take it that he was just able not to sin. I, I don't think he could sin. But anyway, that's the two questions. We just brought them up last week. You can talk about them more if you want to. Uh, I'm not sure anybody's going to ever come up exactly with the right answer unless you want to have the same answer I do, and then you'll have the right answer, which is Jesus. But anyway, who knows? Well, we talked about areas of temptation. And we said that when you go to 1 John chapter 2, is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the flesh is a physical aspect, whether it's sexual or food or something that's pulling you in a physical way. Then there's the lust of the eyes. And that only is not only has the idea of seeing something, but it's the idea of wanting to be seen, having the idea of ambition or something. And then there's the pride of life, and that's to obtain honor. That's, uh, you know, saying, um, you know, it's, it's lack of humility. One of the things you find throughout the Scripture is the key, in the Bible, besides faithfulness, is the humility. And we see that Moses was called the most humble man, and then we see Jesus was a humble man. And, and when you see humility, that's, that's the key. That's the opposite of pride. And when you think about pride, pride is the thing that caused the fall of Satan. It's the thing that caused the fall of man. And so but I think behind every sin is pride. And so this is, this is it, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And we saw the temptations that Satan attacks Jesus in these same areas. First of all, the, the bread, that was the physical, lust of the flesh. You're really hungry. If you're really hungry, just take some stone, make it bread. And then the whole idea of, listen, you want to be seen? Just jump off the pinnacle of the temple. If you jump off and you don't get hurt, you fall at 200, 300 feet down there, everybody will say, man. You must be something special. Yeah, everybody needs to you. Or the last thing is, listen, I got all the kingdoms of the world, and, and you can have them. And so those are the three temptations. All of them were to go contrary to God, to the Father. Jesus Christ came to do the will of the Father. And so if he would have, let's just say it, if he would have said, well, I'll make me some bread, was that God's plan for him to make the bread? You know, we, we don't think so. Is he supposed to jump off the pinnacle of the temple so everybody can see him and say, oh yeah, you must be God? Or was it through the, the signs that he did? And, and was he supposed to be the king without going to the cross? And so we saw all of those kind of things. We talked a little bit about it last time. So now, when you go to Luke chapter 4, it's going to be a little bit different because he doesn't give us the temptations in the same order. Okay, if I was guessing, since Luke starts his gospel by saying, having understood everything from the beginning, I thought to give this out in chronological order. Luke's gospel is supposed to be in order. So when you look, we looked at Matthew last week and we saw the three temptations, and we're going to see Luke, there's a different order. So if I was guessing, I think Matthew just gave us the three temptations, maybe not necessarily in the order that they were given. I think it does, doesn't make any difference. Luke gives them, I think, in the order. And so to, this morning, we're going to see them a little bit different. Luke chapter 4, I want you to turn there, and we're going to see the temptations of Christ through the devil, and it's a little different order than we saw last week in Matthew. Look at it. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, we talked about this last week, but we got to get this. Who led Jesus to go out into the wilderness to be tempted? The Holy Spirit. So th this is not a mistake. Jesus didn't just go, you know what I think I'll do? I'll just go out in the wilderness. If he didn't, this is the Holy Spirit leading him out there. He's full of the Holy Spirit, returning from the Jordan. That's after he was baptized by John the Baptist to fulfill all righteousness. He's led by the Spirit to go into the wilderness. And, and notice, for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. We talked about this last week. People say things like, he was out there for 40 days, didn't eat anything. At the end of the 40 days, Satan comes to tempt him. It says, 
for 40 days being tempted by the devil. The temptation was the whole time. We see maybe at, toward the end, we see at the 40th day when the devil comes and says, make these stone bread. But he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. It wasn't a one-shot deal in which he raised these three things. So being tempted for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he became hungry. We talked about it last time. Did anybody look up anything? How long can a person go without eating any food at all? And we know about three or four days without water. We, we know maybe three weeks or maybe without food. He's gone 40 days, huh? Ten minutes, yeah. For Susie, it's been ten minutes, and you know, right now she will see her get up in a few minutes while this message. Go back and get a donut and come back because she can't go more than ten minutes without food. But anyway, Jesus went forty days, and at the end of the forty days, what does it say? He became hungry. Well, would you be hungry? I mean, he's, he's, he's the God-man, right? He, he's a human being. We know that there was a time that he said he went by the well, the woman at the well. He sat down there because he was resting. You know, so he's he's a human being that he got tired, he he needed to eat, those kind of things. So now we're going to see the first temptation. And the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. So in the first temptation, it's stone to bread. It's physical. It's the idea, lust of the flesh, in the sense that this is something physical. You're really hungry. There's nothing wrong with getting something to eat. In fact, let me ask you something. If you're really hungry, is it wrong to get something to eat? Well, what would have been wrong with Jesus taking the stones and making them bread? Was that God's plan for him? Had God said, could God say something like this? The Father could say, if I want you to eat, I'll get you some food. Let me think about it. So notice, we saw this last time, but notice it says, and the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. The if is a first class if, which if and is true. I think the devil is saying, if and is true, you're the son of God. Since you're the son of God, why don't you tell this stone to become bread? And, and, that, and, and so every time, we talked about this last week, every time the temptations come, Jesus Christ goes to the Word of God. And we're going to see that he goes to the book of Deuteronomy, and he says there, and Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. He's saying, listen, it's not the physical that's the answer, but it's the Word of God. Because see, who is the provider? God is the provider. The Father is the provider. Jesus is out in the wilderness. Who's he been led by for 40 days? the Holy Spirit. That's, that's God the Father and the Spirit leading him out there. He could say this, if God wanted me to have something to eat, if the Father wanted me to have something to eat, guess what? He'd give me something to eat. You remember Elijah was running away? Elijah, uh, Jezebel said, if you're around here tomorrow, I'll kill you. And so Elijah took off and ran all the way down, got to a far place, and then kept, went even further out. He was all depressed. He laid down. He basically said he was going to die. And God fed him. God had birds bring food to him. If God wanted Jesus, if, the, if God the Father wanted Jesus the Son to eat, what would he have done? He'd give him the food. So basically the temptation is go contrary to God's plan. See, that's, that's what he always wants us to do. Sin is going contrary to what God has for us. That We call it sin because it's going contrary to the Word of God. If the Bible says don't lie and we lie, we've gone contrary. That's what sin is. And so anything we do that's contrary... so. If Jesus said, you know, that's not a bad idea. I mean, I wonder why the Father hadn't given me any food up to now anyway. I wonder why I'm going through this 40-day temptation. Why would he take any kind of directions from the devil? He knows who the devil is. Well, exactly. Why would he? Well, he didn't. 
Okay, he could say, I think I know who you are, so I'm not going to listen to you anyway. But notice what he says. I'm going to give you the word of God. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. See, God is the provider. And see, he's going to rest in the Father. He's saying, if the Father wanted to give me bread, he'd give me bread. I do not act independently from the Father. You remember what he said when he said? He says, I'm working because my Father is working. If you see me, you've seen the Father. I've come to do the will of the Father. So everything that he did. And that's true for us. There are physical desires that people want to meet that are contrary to the truths of the Bible. Here's a person who's single, and they want to have sex. And people say, they've got a girlfriend or a boyfriend, and somebody says, what's wrong with having sex? And the, Well, the Bible says you have sex in the marriage bond. But I want that. I have that desire, a physical desire to do that. But we'd say, that's what? That's wrong. Sometimes, sometimes people want drugs. People want alcohol. People want other things. People say, I want, I want things. Truth for us, physical desires, and here's the bottom line. When it's the right time, God will meet those desires if, if you're supposed to have them. Philippians 4 9, my God shall do what? Supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So the very first aspect of the temptation is he wanted Jesus to go contrary to the Father by meeting a physical need that Jesus had. Jesus basically says, it's, it's by the word of God, not by bread, that I really maintain this. So the answer, he always goes back to the word, God is the provider. Okay, we got that? So we have physical needs. We have desires. We have things that we want. But some of those things uh, can only be done in the, in, in the right way, right? And God says, this is what's right. And sometimes people say, but I, I, I have that need. You have to trust him. We have to trust him because he's the provider. Trust him at the right time in the right way. Well, let's look at the second temptation. Here's the second temptation, and look at verse 5. He led him up to and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Now, how he did that, they, they went somewhere, one of the other gospels says on a mountain, and they went up, and he showed him the whole world and the kingdoms. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory. Say glory, glory. Pride of life. Let me think about it. This glory, for it's been handed over to me, and I can give it to whoever I wish. Who gave it to Satan? God the Father did. When mankind sinned, we already know that man sinned anyway. This whole idea here is that all the kingdoms of the world, it's powerful, it's pride, it's the ambition of life. It's Jesus saying, I'm going to get to be the what? The King of kings and Lord of lords. Is Jesus Christ the King of kings and Lord of lords? He is. But is he the King of kings and ruling on the earth at this time? No, and Satan says, guess what? You can be the king right now. What is he going to bypass? The cross. The cross. Yeah, it's, you can be a king without going to the cross. You can, you, Satan said, the greatest thing ever would you be king and you miss the cross because if you miss the cross, you don't pay for sin. If you don't pay for sin, people can't be saved. This is the plan. Make him go contrary to the plan. He said, verse 13... Or I don't know. Oh, he go back to Deuteronomy and says, "You shall worship and serve the Lord only." This verse eight says, "Therefore, if you worship me, it shall be yours." All you have to do is bow down to me, and you can't get to do it. Well, let me ask you a question. If he says, "I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world," and Jesus is going to be the what? The king? Who's he supposed to worship? The devil. The devil. That means devil's a little bit higher than the king of the world, right? 
So I don't think that works out right. So Jesus says, it is written, Deuteronomy, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus said, I came here to do the will of the Father. What is the will of the Father? It is to go to the cross, to pay for the sins of mankind, and then be the king. There is a plan. There is a progression. Die, reign. First coming, die. Second coming, reign. And basically, here is the plan. Die on the cross. You cannot get the crown before the cross. Jesus is basically saying, listen, I don't listen to you. I've got to worship the Lord. I'm not worshiping you. God's plan is for me to go to the cross first. And we do the same thing. We're not here for ourselves. We're not here to see what we can get. In fact, one day, will you reign with Christ? If, If we serve him here, will we reign with him? Does he say, I want you to reign with me without serving? I want you to be a king without serving, without taking up your cross and following me. Discipleship is living for Jesus. It's dying to yourself. If we don't die to the self and serve him, we're not going to reign. The devil says you can reign without serving. In fact, I want y'all so busy you can't ever serve. Yeah, I want you busy with good things. Be sweet, be nice, and never serve God. And what what you're actually doing is trying to get a crown before you ever have a cross. So the answer is the word of God. He's here to serve, to do the will of the Father. And we're tempted. We're tempted not to serve now. And we think we're going to get a crown without serving. What are rewards? Well done, good and faithful servant. That's the way it is. That takes us to the third temptation. Okay, here's the third one. And this is the the lust of the eyes. And when you say lust of the eyes, every time we hear lust of the eyes, we think of we're looking at something. But lust of the eyes is not only looking at something, it's it's being looked at. It's that idea. And so look at, uh, a little further down, the third temptation, verse 9. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. So here's the third one. Lust of the eyes, go to the pinnacle of the temple. We talked last week, if you remember the, in Jerusalem, there was a, there's a big wall going all the way. The temple's gone, but the, but the wall, part of the wall is still there. In fact, what they call the wailing wall, which is the back wall of the temple. And then you see pictures of the Jewish people coming up to that. That wall is still there. There's another wall that goes all the way around. And if you get on the, on the edge and look down, it's about two to 300 feet down. There's a, there's a road. And so you could fall off that, it'd kill you. Yeah, it's a long way down. Most believe that that's the pinnacle of the temple. In fact, when I was there in 76, people said, that's the pinnacle of the temple. You, I always thought the pinnacle of the temple was some tall thing on the temple itself. Pinnacle of the temple is around the temple mount looking over. And so basically he says, see, why don't you just jump off? You'll fall about 300 feet. And when you get there, you're going to be fine. Because remember, and he quoted some scripture. He quotes scripture, says, they, the, the concerning his angels will take care of you and they will bear you up and you'll not strike your foot against a stone. He's basically quoting some scripture that says, when you jump off, angels won't let you get hurt. He's quoting scripture to Jesus and it's a little bit out of context. You know, in fact, most of the time, every time Satan uses scripture, it's always out of context. It's always to fool you. And so, uh, so he says, just jump off and you won't even get hurt. And so what is Jesus going to say? Well, Jesus is going to go to Deuteronomy 6.16. It says, do not put the Lord to the test. Don't put him to a test. In fact, Jesus said in verse 12, and Jesus answered and said to him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Because see what Satan is saying. When you jump off 
and fall all the way down and don't get hurt, people will look at you and go, good gracious, you must be God. You must be the Messiah. And Jesus says, no, no, no. The way that they're going to know I'm the Messiah is not by me jumping off a temple. They're going to know I'm the Messiah by my love, by the cross, by my signs, by healing people, by teaching of the word of God, by forgiving sins, by walking on the water. Those signs that I did found in the Gospel of John, that's what point people to the fact that I'm the Messiah, not jumping off a temple and not getting hurt. And so you see how Satan said, we can, we can go it a little bit different way. And Jesus said, don't put the Lord your God to a test. And, and, and by the way, uh, they, Jesus said, they got to know I'm the Messiah, not by jumping off a temple, but by my lifestyle, how I live, what I did. And the bottom line for us is we, we got to do things God's way, not our way, right? I mean, if people are going to know that we belong to God... It, it can't be the ways of the world to do it. It's got to be... Uh, how did he say that people will know that we belong to God? How did he say it? Say it again. They know by your love for one another that you belong to me. It's not jumping off anything. It's not being famous. It's loving one another. And Jesus basically said... I'm not testing God on this. I'm not testing the Father on this. And notice, notice, notice this part right here. It says, when the devil had finished every temptation, he left him for good. That one, it didn't say that, does it? He left him until a what? An opportune time. He's looking for a better time. He's saying, okay, I'll see you later, but I'm, I'm still watching to get you. And let me tell you this. What does he do for you? You know, there may be a temptation coming to your life today. And we have victory. And we go, I had victory. I'm good. I'm okay now. No, no, because he's waiting. He's saying, just take heed lest you think you stand, you fall. Listen, he's just waiting for any weakness we might have. Waiting for anything to get us. It's never, when, and when I say he, I, it's the fallen world system and controlled by the devil, his angels. You know, as we said many times, if Satan's after you, you're the most important person in the world. So congratulations. But uh, anyway, the bottom line is, it, he said, don't put the Lord to God to the test. When the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. And by the way, when he says every temptation, he's probably referring to more than these three. Because remember, it was over a 40-day time period. So what do we see when we look at this? We see the answer is always the Word of God. The answer is to live by the Bible uh, it, 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 and, and that kind of thing. I mean, the answer is always living by the Bible. is always God's way. We have to go back to the Bible. We have to live by the Bible. That's got to be God's way. Think about it. Get the bread. No, God will provide. Fulfill this in your life. It's wrong to do it that way. You're going to have to trust God. If you're going to have that, you're going to have to trust him. You may or may not have it, but you're going to have to trust him. If it's a real need, God will supply every need that you have. If it is a need, he will provide it for you. Second, serve him. We're here not to get rewards now. We're here to serve now so we can get rewards later. And that's the same thing for him. Serve him now. God's going to provide for the food if he needed it. God's going to, he's going to serve God now. He's not, uh, he's, he's not going to get the kingdoms before he goes to the cross. And then the last thing, he wasn't going to put God to the test. had to be God's way. Realize that Jesus Christ is the last Adam. 
Be careful. Sometimes people want to say the first Adam was Adam and the second Adam was Christ. Well, if there's a second Adam, there might be a what? Could be a third Adam, but there's not a third Adam. That's Reverend Sun Moon, by the way. The Moonies, you might know who the Moonies are, right? Sun Moon thinks he's the third Christ, the third Adam. There was the first Adam who failed, the second Adam, Jesus, and he says Jesus failed because Jesus ended up getting killed. And so he's the third Adam, which means he's the Messiah, and Reverend Sun Moon thinks he's the Messiah of the world and the Savior of the world. So we don't say first Adam, second Adam. We say first Adam and the last Adam. And so Jesus is the last Adam. He's going to restore mankind. The first Adam was tempted in the garden and fell. The last Adam was tempted in the wilderness and gained victory. So how do we deal with temptation? Well, we've got to go to the Bible. We've got to understand that God will provide. And he does, right? Listen, in my life, I, I mean, I'll just tell you this. I wanted to be married. From the time I was about 18, I wanted to be married. My twin sister got married when she was 17. Okay, so she got married when she was 17. I, I, I kind of wanted to be married. I, I said, well, I can at least wait till I get to college and there'll be a bunch of college girls. And, you know, and so I got to college and there were a bunch of college girls, but by the time I graduated, there was no college girl that matched me. It didn't work. And so I, 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 I started coaching and then I went to Mississippi State and I was coaching at Mississippi State. And so here I am, 24 years old, at coaching at Mississippi State and somebody said, if you don't find a girl there, you're never going to find a girl. I mean, that's a, that's, a, that's a big old school. Guess what? I didn't find a girl there. I didn't, and, and so I go to Dallas Seminary at age 31, still wanting to be what? Still want to be married. And what did I say? Okay, God, let me, I'm going to figure out a way to get a girl. Right? One way or the other. And he said, no, you're going to do it the right way. And so people said, you're living in Dallas. If you can't find a girl in Dallas, you're never going to find a girl. Guess what? I graduated in Dallas somewhere and came here. And somebody said to me, well, there is a college there. There might be a girl there. And there wasn't. Gene lived in Memphis. And he brought us together. So I had to wait. I had to wait till I was 36 years old. And if you said to me, did, when, why did he make you wait? I, well, I look back and see some of the things that I did, that I got to do, that I could not have done if I'd have been married. And, even, and, and there are things in our lives that we say, I have this desire, I have this, I want this fulfilled. And we say, it can't be fulfilled until a certain way. And if you violate that, you violate the scripture. And so we're going to have to trust that God will provide at the right time. And then are we here to serve? Are we here to rest? We're not reigning. This is not the kingdom. There are, I, I just taught my 2-2 class, and there are people in the 2-2 class. We, we, the two, two or three of the lessons dealt with end times. We talked about the kingdom. We talked about a belief that this is the kingdom now. It's called all millennialism. Never be a literal kingdom. We're in the kingdom now. And I always say, well, if it's the kingdom, where's the king? And then second is, this ain't that great a kingdom, right? And, and so uh, when the kingdom comes and the king comes, then we get to serve. Then we get to reign. But we're supposed to serve now. We, have, we take up our cross and follow him, and then we reign. And last but not least, live by the word, because the bottom line is it's got to be done in God's way. Jesus said, I'm not jumping off the top of a side of a big old thing and show that I'm God that way. I'm going to show it another way. And we've got to show people we belong to Jesus Christ. How? 
by our love one for another. So we just got to remember that God will provide. So let me give you real quickly because it's time to go to grow groups. Expect temptation. Expect it. It's coming. It comes by a physical way that the flesh or the pulls. We got to remember that God's going to provide. We can see it sight, be seen or be seen, but got to do it God's way. And then there's the whole pride. We want to have it now. It's, it's service before rewards. And that's what we have to think about. So how to deal with temptation? Go to the Word of God. That's what you have to do. That's what Jesus did. He went back to Deuteronomy. Most of us, when we're tempted, we don't go to Deuteronomy, right? We don't even know there's a Deuteronomy. You know, we go, <laughs> okay, so anyway. But then, remember these truths. Trust God to provide our needs in his time and in his way. Number two, serve God while we're here. There are going to be a time to reign. This isn't it. And last but not least, live by the word of God. Do it God's way. That's what we've got to do, and that's how it's going to happen for us.